This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumablet. And I'm Yannick Magnan. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? State of Caesarea 2024. Awesome! But first, we have some follow-up. And I'll start the follow-up section with our programming note. As we've been mentioning for the past few weeks, we will be going on a winter hiatus, which starts at the end of this episode. So this is the last episode. Uh, and then Yannick and I will be taking a nice break. And we will be back on episode 223 on March 10th. So you're listening to my voice past February 11th, and we'll be back March 10th. So more or less, we're taking a month off. We shall see you right after that. My item of follow-up, and I'm quite disappointed about myself because I talked about a specific application in the last episode about my photo tips, but I even didn't even name drop it. Um, so I did do do a few mention about a store photography and some planning per. Uh, planification you might need to do when you go to a specific location and um, in a lot of the outings I've been doing here in Montreal for uh, my photo outings uh, uh, one app is recurring being used by uh, photographers it's called Photopills and my recollection is it's a, it's a pretty old app but it's still well maintained so if you don't know what Photopill does is it is a database of a lot of the astral events or like if we talk about the April eclipse that we'll see here in Canada or um, any of the meteorite showers or like you want to know when the sun rises or when the sun sets or what will be the uh, path of the moon during that night, uh, things like that. You get all of this information on your phone. So it's really resourceful and it has a planning mode. So you can drop your pin from not home but to a specific GPS coordinate and a specific time and date. And then you can literally see what's planned to happen uh, astral-related during that time. Um, I'll put the link in show notes to their website. They have an Android and an iOS app. Uh, I would say that it is a bit pricey, and I say that just because of the typical uh, cheap prices of free for uh mobile apps but this one here in the canadian uh, store is 10.99 but in my opinion this is well worth its cost of admission and it is a flat fee so i, I don't think there's a subscription i just paid to download the app there might be kind of an extra things like that i'm not sure but i paid the flat fee the paid price and uh it's still been working for the past two years with no nagging, no nothing for more money. So it is well worth the investment. Uh, for sure, you can get this information uh, available on the web for free. But it's really nice to have that in the app. And I strongly suggest you go watch, uh, you go on their website and go on their YouTube channel because the app's UX is uh, left to be desired in some moments. It's really <laughs> a complex app. Uh, they try to f uh, put a lot of features uh, in its UI and uh, it, try it tries to be a information-dense UI on the iPhone and on mobile phone. And sometimes uh, the experience is less than I need because of that. So you really need to know what to do in the app to find the information or the feature you're looking for. 
But still, even because of that, I would still say it's a great recommendation for planning photography adventures. That's it for my follow-up. All right. My first item of follow-up is for episode 75. That was Limipo Plays Gran Turismo Sport because uh, last week, GT Sport got an update, the super nice 1.69 with offline save support uh, because the uh, servers are going down. Actually, they are already down uh, for Gran Turismo Sport. And this patch basically makes all of the single-player content available offline, uh, which was not originally part of the plan, which gives some people hope that maybe once uh, GT7 servers go down something like six years from now, uh, they will actually uh, update it with offline save support like this. So it's not perfect, right? Everyone wishes the game had shipped like this uh, because, first of all, it's just better for people who have unreliable internet connections like i traditionally have had uh but also it means that you're still dependent on patch servers being available to some degree uh sony is a little bit better in that respect because you can access the patch servers in your browser and download them to files that you can transfer with a usb drive so i mean that's cool that's not necessarily something you can say about xbox uh but you know it it would still be cool that it was just shipping that way instead of reliant on a patch, but it's better than nothing. So uh, we appreciate it, Polyphony Digital. Right. Now that the servers are offline, let's say somebody like me that uh, a good friend like Yannick send a note that there's a new update, but forgot or didn't have the time to update their uh, PS4, PS5. What is currently happening? Like, am I stuck or there's a way for me to update Gran Turismo Sport and still keep my save? I think they are taking down the actual uh, save servers later. So you can't mm. like play the game, but you can migrate your save, I think is the situation. Uh, I will put a link to uh, an article on GT Planet that actually contains the details for that because I don't have them in my notes right now. Fair. Okay, that's good. I'll read that and I guess I gotta do this sooner rather than later to err on the save side. I imagine so, yes. The other thing, though, is I'm not sure I'm not sure how much of the data is actually inside the save file that you could get out of PS Plus, right? Mm, I may- see. Maybe the information is already in the save. You just can't do anything with it unless you're connected to the servers. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll have to look into that. And my next item of follow-up is for episode 220, Technologically Sandwiched, which was about my adventures <laughs> in the Linux world. And uh, on that episode, I mentioned a desire to have a uh, daemon that would be watching a folder for uh, Limipo episode files and do a bunch of tedious pre-processing. And it exists. It's called Limipo Watch. Uh, it's running on my home server, and it's mostly done. Uh, so we did this for episode 221. We just drop our recordings into a folder. The daemon watches it and it does all of the pre-processing stuff I usually do manually. And it spits out the four way files that I need to start editing the show. We still have to enable it and disable it manually uh, because there are still a few issues that I need to fix. Uh, the main one was that, uh, it, until I fixed this, uh, it would hog a whole CPU core permanently if it was running, which was not ideal. Uh, this has been fixed, and now the only bug that's left that I need to fix is a small permissions issue where it tries to create the new files as root, and then uh, SyncThing complains because SyncThing is not running as root, and it complains about the permissions. Uh, but once that's fixed, 
uh, everything should just work. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I hope to publish the source code when I'm done fixing it up. And also, I've been making dev packages for these, uh, so I can install them easily on my uh, server. So that was the first time making dev packages since the jailbreak days. And I've learned that apparently dpackage dev is no longer the cool way to make <laughs> dpackage uh, packages. But the uh, alternative seems much more complicated, so I'm not sure I'm going to switch. Uh, but it was still fun to find that out. So I look forward to more info on that in uh, coming episodes. But uh, yeah, we just wanted to... Uh, tell you that one of my two uh, pet project demons has actually uh, come out. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, but I would say that personally, I would be uh, pretty excited to see or pretty curious, excuse me, I should have said uh, to see this code. So I'm not asking you to put it publicly, but uh, if uh, I can see it, I would be curious to read it. Oh, I will eventually make it public. Like that's not an issue. It's just, uh, I want to fix the bug before I do it, and I won't have time before my trip. That's totally fair. All right, so I think we can get into the main topic. Ooh, Mac development, I'm so excited. Right, so I said State of Caesarea. Uh, If you're a new listener to the show, or you're just less familiar with my work, uh, you might not know what Caesarea is. Uh, Caesarea is my pet project music player that's inspired by the good old days of iTunes. Uh, It currently implements most of iTunes 1's functionality and a little bit of iTunes 3's fun- functionality and that's hard to say because iTunes and apostrophe s so close together is really hard to say uh but sure whatever uh it aims to implement most of the functionality of iTunes 1 to iTunes 4 while adhering to the principles of trivial technologies so those principles are having an understandable and accessible code base making the code base easily adaptable to add new features and uh, the code base is distributed under a public domain equivalent license, in this case, zero BSD. And the reason this app exists in the first place is mostly because of my frustration with apps from streaming services. Uh, I want to ensure the continued viability of local music library paradigms on Apple platforms. Uh Apple Music is basically now just a giant ad for the service. It's barely usable as a traditional music player. Um And even when you use it as intended, if you're subscribed to Apple Music, it can trample all over your library's metadata whenever it feels like it. I had some somewhat rare soundtracks from visual novels uh, that I had ripped at a friend's place in Japan, and they were replaced with albums from no-name rap artists because iTunes Match decided that's what they wanted them to be that day. That sucked. Um... On the other hand, there's stuff like YouTube Music, which has an incredibly flaky UI that has only gotten worse over time. Uh, Frequently, the app just gets confused about what metadata belongs to what track, and the now playing info is just completely screwed up most of the time. Uh, More and more screen real estate is being taken up by controls that if you accidentally tap them, will start casting to nearby TVs, which is really bad in office settings because I don't want the conference room to start blasting anime music randomly while i'm at work really? yeah really? yeah i thought you wanted to share your anime music with your colleagues um well sometimes but not always sometimes i'd like <laughs> to keep my job especially when there are people in the conference room uh and like as of last week uh they added a new tab to the bottom tab on uh tab bar on the youtube music app which is the last tab and it is dedicated to upselling you on YouTube Premium. But spoilers, I already pay for YouTube Premium. So the entire tab is completely useless. <laughs> Great UI. I love it. No, but it's to remind you that you're a YouTube subscri- a premium subscriber. 
I know that's literally what that tab does. It's like, congratulations, you have YouTube Premium. Okay, so what's the point of this tab? I don't know. You're a you're a cool kid. Uh, obviously. Uh, and on top of that, like, uh, this is half an iOS problem, half of half a streaming app problem. You know, the APIs for detecting if you're using cellular data are just really bad and unreliable. And occasionally that would mean that I would blow like half my data plan just downloading music, even though the app is unchecked uh, to run with cellular data. So uh, that's fun. So basically, I fucking hate streaming apps and I don't want to use them. And I'm going to make my own app, which is not going to use streaming and that I'm going to know is not going to use streaming and is going to have as few network calls as possible. And I'm just mad. I was just so mad. And I made this instead. Uh, So... If you are already familiar with the project, you may know that I used to have a YouTube series called Scissor Guided Tour. In fact, technically still exists. I, I never said I was stopping it. Uh, but the philosophy behind it uh, has changed a little bit. Originally, I was guiding you through every single feature I was developing. And eventually, I just stopped developing features because it got too overbearing to make a video for every single thing I was doing. Uh, so now I'm focusing on large structural features in the Cesare Guided Tour series, whereas more minor things or things that are similar to something that I've already done, I'm just not going to bother making videos for. Uh, so that means that the next major episode is probably going to be something like a major refactor or uh, when I start factoring things out for uh, iOS support. Uh, but where we last left off, basically, uh, with the series and all of that stuff, was that uh, I was refactoring how playback sessions are handled to be less dependent on NS Notification Center, which was kind of the hack that I used mm-hmm. to get things working very quickly. And the next step after that was going to be splitting Caesar's core functionality into a reusable module that could be used in an iOS client, which I know you were particularly excited for. Right. I'm changing the short-term scope of the project, and that's not really on the short-term timeline anymore. I'm much less aggressive on iOS adoption than I was before, and there are two reasons for this. Uh, The first reason is I don't really need it as much in my current situation. Uh, At work right now, I'm working on a Mac full-time until probably July or so, and my Mac is paired with a wireless headset all day. So I'm no longer swapping devices and using my phone to listen to music or whatever and using my Mac to do meetings. I'm just on the Mac all the time with my headset. And remember that when Cesaro first began, I still had a regular commute. And now it literally takes me five minutes to get to work. So the iOS use case just kind of disappeared. Uh, It's not to say that I've never listened to music on my phone, but it's much less frequent than it was before. And like, I would appreciate it for the plane ride next week. But aside from that, like there, it's much less of an issue than it previously was. Uh, The second reason is that it, there are lots of issues with iOS interface design that I'm running up against. Mm -hmm. The main thing there is I want the full screen iPad interface to look like the desktop version, which is to say it has to look like iTunes. There's a sidebar on the left. There's a table view on the right. Uh, we've talked extensively on the show about how I'm angry about table views all the time. Uh, I finally have one. Okay. Yes, I-, I was not expecting you to go there, but that's true. You're always angry about table views. But I, I-, I for a second, I thought you were talking about the information density that we also talked a lot on the podcast. The information density, like, I can live with that. Uh, 
but the the main issue is the convertible nature of iPad interfaces, right? So mm-hmm. I also want the phone interface to exist, and I want it to be completely different. Uh, I want it to look more like an iPhone music app and not like an iPad slash desktop music app. And for me, that means having a tab bar on the bottom to switch between fixed views, like an album's view, or like basically all of the screens an original iPod had. The issue with this is that iPad multitasking means that the iPad app needs to be able to freely switch between the two UIs based on the size of the window. And offering a user interface that is reliably convertible between the two is a nightmare. It's not impossible. It's just a nightmare. It's a hard problem to solve. Yes. And ironically, as Apple has introduced more and more power user multitasking features like Stage Manager and all of that stuff, uh, they have made the value proposition of designing a bespoke user interface for an iPad app significantly worse. And I think like these decisions basically just push developers towards not actually making iPad-specific UIs and just making big phone apps because that's kind of what the APIs are encouraging them to do. Or you check the checkbox that says require full screen. Yeah, but that sucks. Like, I, I use iPad multitasking a lot. That that fucking sucks. I know, but that's one of the ways that you ensure you can get all the spaces you can have. Sure. It's just it sucks, and I don't like that. <laughs> I would rather not have it than have it suck. Uh, so that, that's basically where I am. I've not been able to design a user interface that I like that is easily convertible between both form factors. Uh, and that's kind of why iOS got put on hold. Uh, aside from the whole I don't need it as much thing, the other thing is when I did need it more, I've never been able to solve this problem. H- how do you do a universal app that has a good UI in both form factors for this kind of app? It's kind of a challenge that it would just be really, really hard to solve, and I don't have the energy for it right now. Right, especially, and I think that, sorry for the interruption, but I think here, that, that that point to me is, I think, why the iPad is lacking a more advanced application. So if you want to ensure that all your features are present in all the sizes of Windows, um, you need to start about the compromises you have to. You need to start thinking about the compromises you have to make for those features on a mobile phone size screen. Which for a lot of developers, what they end up doing, and I understand that trade-off, is okay. We'll just remove that feature and then just use the common denominator that is the mobile interface. But I think something I would like to have, and I think um, I understanding that it's the same for you, is no, the iPad is. A smaller, a smaller, but yet as powerful computer as the Mac, allow me to have complex functionality. Allow me to have more information dense application. Show me a lot on the screen, and don't force me to be jammed in a big phone size application that just do phone size stuff. Yeah, definitely, uh, and that's a thing that comes up reg- regularly on the show, but it particularly impacts this app uh, because. I want this to be as feature-rich as iTunes 4, and I would say that most phone music apps are not as rich as feature-rich as iTunes 4, and that sucks. Uh, I would like to have feature parity across all platforms, but it's really tricky to find a way to design the user interface that enables that uh, without being overwhelming on phones. And before the advent of Apple Music's, Apple Music, you couldn't say the same too about the 
I'll call it just for the sake of conversation, the iPod app. Uh, it was also lacking features that you add directly on iTunes. Yes, it well, especially on iPad. Like on iPad, it was lacking a lot of stuff. I think the phone one was really rich for a phone music app in ways okay. that a lot of people forgot about. Uh, like Apple Music sucks in comparison to uh, old music on the phone. But yeah, it, it's tricky. You have to forget also, you can't forget also that there was a bunch of throwaway stuff in there. Like Genius was in there as well mm, for a while. Right. Uh, there were a bunch of weird edge case features. Uh, I think for a while, one of the only things you couldn't do on the phone was create smart playlists. But basically, every major feature from iTunes was there in some way. Yeah, and we still live to this day where creating smart playlists or smart album, if I use more uh, a closer to home example, is a sacred feature for the Mac. Yeah, and it, it they just fall down when syncing with iOS a lot of the times, and that sucks. Anyway, uh. Now that I've covered on why there is no iOS progress, let's talk about some recent developments uh, because I have restarted development in December and I've made two releases since then. And I have things that I'm planning for the first half of 2024 as well that I want to get into. Uh, so let's just quickly go over the release notes for December and January. So December 2023, uh, improved drag and drop support. Uh, this is particularly an issue that I was running into at work because I was trying to create playlists with entire albums in them. And then I remembered that you could only drag one track at a time. And the album I was trying to drag into the other one had something like 80 tracks. Uh, so I had to drag 80 tracks individually into my playlist and that sucked. So that night I fixed it. <laughs> so now you can drag uh, multiple tracks into playlists at once. Uh, I also had a very long overdue bug fix for a bug that would happen if you double clicked on section headers uh basically i had a thing that would let you double click on rows uh in the table to start playing that track but i forgot to exclude the section headers and it would just crash uh so i fixed that january 2024 um meteor update uh i added play count skip count and last played tracking to scissor libraries actually all of those fields were always in the database they just were never being populated by anything uh so now uh if you update this version you can start tracking those uh stats and there are columns for them in the ui uh, I made the shuffle and repeat settings persistent across launches of the application because I got tired of always setting uh, repeat all and shuffle when I was uh, coming back into the app. Uh, I had some bug fixes around handling operations with multiple selections. Uh, there were some unforeseen complications with the improved drag and drop support that uh, was fixed in this. And then I sorted the playlists in alphabetical order in the left sidebar instead of creation order, which was the old thing. Uh, this was surprisingly complex to fix uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, but it is working now. Oh, uh, and do you want to get into those reasons or? No, because I don't remember them. <laughs> okay. I just know that it was more complicated than I expected. I just thought I was going to change the SQL query to sort by name and that kind of worked. But then when you started creating playlists, shit would break. Uh, so... <laughs> That's a high-level overview. Uh, so next up, enhancements on the horizon. So this is the list of stuff I want to get done for first half of 2024. Uh, and there's a surprising amount of stuff in here. So first off, uh, bug fix for sorting the new columns. Uh, right now, if you try to uh, sort 
in a playlist by play count, skip count, or last played, uh, your playlist is going to show completely empty. Uh, and the reason for this is there is a typo in the SQL query for playlists specifically. If you go to the Oops. library view, uh, they work fine. Uh, so I have to go fix those. Um, next up is a feature that has already started work, and that is the uh, possibility to add song ratings. Uh, so I added a column to the UI that shows you your song ratings with uh, zero to five stars. And I just need to implement the menu items to actually set the rating on the selected tracks. And then once that's in place, uh, you essentially have the combination of play count, skip count, last played, and ratings that were part of the iTunes 3 suite of new features uh, that made Smart Playlists really cool. Uh, because Smart Playlists were also introduced in iTunes 3. So it, it's setting the stage for Smart Playlists, and we're going to talk about Smart Playlists later. Another thing I want to do, per collection, sort order is saving. Right now, sort order is not persisted at all. When you relaunch the application, uh, everything will be sorted by track ID by default, which is essentially insert ID, which is not particularly useful for anyone. Uh, so uh, I'm going to add it so that each playlist can have its own sort order. Uh, there is a database field for it already. It's just it's not wired up to anything, so I just need to do that. Uh, I want to add Sparkle for automatic updates. Obviously, if I'm adding new features more regularly, uh, it becomes more worthwhile to have automatic updates within the app. Uh, next one is kind of a big one. It's uh, adding a system to rescan metadata. And that's one of the shortcomings with the current Cesura design is that track metadata is only scanned once when you import the track for the first time. If I want to add new metadata fields to Cesura that I read from the embedded ID3 tags, currently there's no way for me to repopulate that data aside from deleting every track in your library and reimporting them from scratch, which kind of sucks. Uh, so a tangible example of this is I forgot to add song length in the uh, database when I created Cesura for the first time. Obviously, I can add a database migration that adds this uh, column and adds it to the UI. But then when you launch the application, all of the uh, all of the song length song lengths are going to be null because they were never set during import. So I need to add a system that can automatically rescan all of those tracks after a database migration is applied, or at the very least give you a way to force manual rescan when you relaunch the app. And then the last thing on the list for first half 2024 is the polish update. Uh, Cesura is not really ugly it's just not really polished um so i want to give it a new icon uh, the current icon is actually ugly uh, it's just a placeholder uh, if you look at it closely it has super aliased corners because i was making it with the uh un so I i'm using an old version of acorn uh my license then transfer over to the new version. So it's not even registered. So I was very limited in what I could do. I just needed an icon fast. <laughs> uh, so it has super aliased corners. If you look at the rounded corners, uh, especially on non-retina displays, it really looks bad. Uh, I got a much better idea for an icon uh, recently. I just need the time to actually make it. Um, but the, it's going to be cool when I, if I get it to look as good as I have it in my head. Um, I want to add icons to the source list uh, so that you can differentiate the library from your playlists and just make it look nicer. Uh, the title bar view right now basically just uses the straight uh, title and subtitle features of the title bar. 
I want to make it look more fancy. I want to add a scrubber so that you can uh, drag your thumb across the track and uh, skip ahead or whatever. Maybe add a little bit of album art to spice things up. Uh, And of course, it would be really nice to have contextual menus for actions on individual tracks because right now you don't have that. Uh, You have to do everything with the menu bar or keyboard shortcuts when something is selected. So now let's get into longer term goals. Uh, The first one, obviously, smart playlists. Uh, Smart playlists are the premier iTunes 3 feature. Uh, And it is a feature that I made tremendous use of uh, in iTunes back in the day. Uh, Obviously, I would want to start off by implementing basic smart playlists. So this is smart playlists with one or more filter criteria, uh, custom sort mode, and uh, you can limit the track selection from a parent collection. So if you have a manually created playlist, uh, you could say, hey, use this as a source and then apply this filter, this filter, this filter. Uh, Eventually, though, I would like to do nested smart playlists, which is where a smart playlist acts as a source for another smart playlist. Uh, That sounds like an interesting challenge. And I used to have somewhat complex systems of smart playlists to use as a sort of semi-recommendation engine. Uh, Back in the day when I used to carry around a 20 gigabyte iPod and I had a massive music library, uh, it was really cool to be able to write smart playlists that could resurface things that I really liked but hadn't enjoyed or listening to in quite some time. And uh, there's a lot of value in having that kind of power at your fingertips. Uh, So it is definitely something that interests me to implement. And especially once all of the the big metadata fields are in place uh, after I add song ratings and the rescan feature, uh, I think it's going to become a lot more appealing to create that feature entirely. Next feature is music sharing. Uh, unsurprisingly, that is the premier iTunes 4 feature, or at least it was before the iTunes Music Store patch came out for iTunes 4. Um, it's still not clear for me if I want to write a generic DAAP client. So DAAP is actually the music sharing protocol that's used by iTunes, uh, or if I want to roll my own protocol. In my head, it also makes sense that you could implement library or uh, selective sync as a layer on top of the music sharing thing, because a lot of the the plumbing necessary for music sharing could be reused for a sync thing. Like you could have like a, a public-private key exchange layer on top of that that could handle actually syncing metadata from one place to another. Uh, so I started thinking about how I would want to do that. Uh, it could also be nice to have a headless daemon for this so that you could serve music on some other server if you want to. Uh, obviously, this becomes more appealing if I roll my own protocol because DAP servers already exist. And then obviously, uh, Caesar on other platforms. Like iOS is the most obvious and we've kind of talked about it already. It's always been part of the eventual plan for this. Though it seems to be deprioritized as what you uh, the, excuse me, which is the conclusion of what you mentioned about the iOS. yeah, it's definitely going to come after some m- more features come to the Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's third in the longer term term priority list for a reason. Um, aside from iOS, desktop Linux is starting to make more and more sense as well, probably as a GTK application. Uh, so you might see a Linux port of Scissor someday. Um, that is starting to look more enticing to me. And then if you want to do sharing between both, that's where maybe rolling your own sharing protocol makes more sense still. 
I mean, nothing prevents DAAP from working on Linux. It's just an HTTP server with fancy metadata. It's not particularly difficult to implement. Oh. Again, um, never looked at the spec of that technology. So. Yeah, and there are already DAAP servers on Linux anyway. Uh, so oh, cool. like that, that's not an issue. I think the main thing that I'm not entirely clear on is what the relationship is between um, iTunes and iTunes like normal music sharing and family sharing because I think recently those have become more intertwined and I'm not sure if iTunes actually does local music sharing anymore. I think it might only be family sharing now because of Apple Music and whatnot. Uh, I also know that there was a limitation at some point where I think iTunes could only connect with other iTunes uh, instances. They had like locked off uh, the ability to connect with other clients than iTunes, which kind of sucks. Uh, so you couldn't have, for example, um, your home Mac acting as a DAAP server and then connect to it from Cezura, which kind of sucks. Uh, but you could do the opposite. Cezura could serve a library over DAAP and iTunes could connect to it, which is kind of a shitty experience, Apple. But I, I understand that Apple Music doesn't have the same priorities as all at all. Oh, and even before Apple Music, like th this type of we just keep the cool feature for ourselves uh, is so Apple. Yeah, definitely. But it's weird because I, I'm pretty sure they used to have uh, a web page. Like the official DAP web page was like copyright Apple or whatever, and they had a spec on it. Huh. Uh, it's kind of what I expected the FaceTime standard would eventually get. Lol. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that never happened. Um, so yeah, th that's pretty much like the, the roadmap I have for Cezura going forward. I think it's, it's pretty modest roadmap. Uh, I think it could probably like last another year, year and a half. Uh, once those features are implemented, like there are little things that I could add, uh, to make it better. But I think like those are the key features I'm missing that I want to have. And then I'll just be happy with what I have. And then I can move on to the next app, which I don't know. Maybe it's a photo app. Maybe it's a, maybe it's something else. Um, I've ha I've developed somewhat of an appreciation in recent years for people who decide to write their own suites of applications that define their personal computing experience. And I think it could be an interesting uh, thing for me to do, where I could basically just make my own iLife uh, with the stuff that I need. And if I have to move to Linux someday, then maybe I can bring them with me and have all the design decisions already done. And it basically just becomes a GTK port at that point. Uh, so that is something that is top of mind. And I think Cezura is just the first of these applications. And I have a bunch of other ideas in a file somewhere, each with their own names of other apps I want to create. Like I have an idea for video editor, like that's... That's probably very far down the line. Yeah, uh, very far. I would say. I would assume here. That sounds like a project that needs a lot of time. It depends what your needs are, right? Uh, because it, if I just need something that lets me create swan song episodes, I know exactly the functionality I need to enable that. Yeah, I think more what I meant is video because it has moving images and audio is more complex than let's say if you were to do just an audio processor or something like that oh definitely but like i made eos the animated gif app and i know how uv foundation works with video so it's like 
or how it doesn't work for your needs, <laughs> which was the sad, uh, the sad morale of that project, if I recall correctly. Actually, AV Foundation was fine. The issues I had were with ImageIO. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's a good yeah. reminder since I was looking at, in the past six months, looking at the ImageIO documentation. Yeah, it's really funny because uh, this week I've had to actually like give people advice on how to use AV Foundation for some work stuff. Ooh. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I remember this API. Before we go on another tangent, I do have a few questions regarding the feature wish list that you have on the website right now. Yeah, it's not necessarily up to date. Okay, first question was exactly that. But I, I think uh, real, even if it's not up to date, um, so if it's not up to date, excuse me, it is the last update was maybe the last time you work on Sejira in 2021. Yeah, I've only removed things from it. I haven't updated the list. Right, because I was kind of keeping up of what you were saying and... I would like to give you kudos because you're kind of the goals that you've defined nearly three years ago. I forgot, again, when in 2021 you last updated it. It's almost exactly two years ago because the timing lines up between my jobs, my last jobs. And I've Ah. almost been at the company for two years. Good. But still, I think my point still stands at that point. Uh, You don't have that much feature creep, Mm -hmm. which goes with your trivial project. Yes. Um, you are also even removing features. You're like down, like down prioritizing iOS. Uh, I see that in the short term, you were mentioning the uh, now playing uh, controller or supporting now the OS now playing integration. Will you do it? Will not? Maybe it's trivial, but still, uh, that was something. And most of your midterm items seems to be important items to consider Sejura. Uh, completed, uh, ignoring smart playlists. But let's say uh, I know you were having a lot of um, still technical decision to figure out for library sharing, but in my opinion even if you end up never doing it uh, you would end up with quite a f- nearly feature complete iTunes 4 replacement. Yep. Uh, one of the big omissions that is not really on the roadmap that I shared on the show is actually ID3 metadata editing and sort of right. like how how the library relates to uh, metadata in general. Because iTunes has a very strange way where <laughs> I don't know how many people are aware of this with iTunes. Uh, and I think it has changed over the years. So it's not necessarily true for modern Apple Music, uh, but uh, it was true once uh back in the day is that by default at some point iTunes you would import your files and it would rip the metadata from your ID3 tags it would save them in its uh library file which originally was not wasn't even a database it was just a plist which is insane when you think about it today <laughs> and then if you ever modified the metadata with an iTunes it would just save it back to the plist you would manually have right. to go into convert to ID3 tags to rewrite it out to the MP3 file. Oh, it, it added a feature that allowed you to convert it to ID3 tags. I forgot about this. Yeah, it was in the right-click menu, and I think it even gave you like the choice of text encoding if you were a weirdo who wanted to put Shift-GIS tags on all your, your music. Right. Uh, so 
that is the model in iTunes right now. There's no metadata editing at all in Caesarea. So it rips the metadata once at launch, and then it never touches it again. And that opens the question, if I add the rescan system, does the rescan... Like, if if I add the rescan system and I add metadata editing, first of all, does the metadata editing write out to ID3 tags? I don't know. That's to be determined. And then if I rescan, do I trample over your custom tags if you've added something to the database uh, that doesn't agree with what's in the ID3 tags? Like, there's a bunch of weird edge cases to consider there. But I do eventually want to add... uh, metadata editing because one of my favorite features of iTunes is actually something that most people have never used and it's sort artist sort album sort track name because when you're dealing with uh, Japanese song names and if you just do a straight alphabetical sort characters can have multiple readings so it cannot determine from the kanji itself where it should go in alphabetical order so you have to give it a sort <laughs> sort alphabetic uh sort title sort album sort artist all of that stuff so that it actually shows up in the correct alphabetical order and what's cool about this is you can do it in two ways if you're dealing with japanese you can use uh japanese characters so if you type the name of the artist in hiragana or whatever it will be sorted in proper japanese alphabetical order or if you're a westerner you can type it in roman characters in your familiar alphabet, and it'll be in your traditional alphabetical order that you're used to. So if I put like uh, Hamasaki Ayumi as my uh, artist tag written out in Roman characters in the sort artist, then she'll show up under H, and you actually won't have to care about the weird Japanese uh, alphabetical order if you're not familiar with it. You'll just find her under H, even though your artist tag can be her name in kanji, and it'll still work out. Uh, so if you're a weirdo who likes Japanese and foreign music and likes having things showing up in the same alphabetical order as the rest of your music, uh, sort fields were an incredibly powerful feature. And that's part of the reason why I have never been able to use any other music app because iTunes was the only one to do it. And now I feel a pressure to implement it in my own app because <laughs> it's for me. <laughs> so Yes, you would use it greatly. Yeah. Um. Quick question related to right now. You did mention that uh, Sejera would only read, uh, will be a read only copy of uh, the IE3 tags, just so more or less you denormalize those tags uh, from the MPG file and put it to your own uh, SQLite database. But wouldn't be that once you start implementing the song ratings? I'm unsure if song ratings is an ID3 tag, but Let's say it is. Would that be maybe your first foray into exploring that, like aka writing the rating in the ID three tags at the same time as your own database? So I'm kind of deferring to how iTunes did this in the past, which is to say that yes, there is a rating tag in ID three tags. However, iTunes has traditionally ignored this, so it has kept it in its own database, and it never reads the ID three tag for the rating, and it never writes the ID three tag for the rating. Because the idea is, if you send the track to someone else, you don't necessarily want your personal rating to go along with it. Right, but even if you would say. Uh, write those tags, this would be one of the tags it wouldn't write. Yeah, I would personally exclude it from the tags that were written. Interesting. Okay. Good. 
I don't think it's a particularly bad decision that iTunes made. So I I would stick with that behavior because it's just what seems logical to me. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess last but not least on my question regarding the roadmap, which is a bit related to that, um, you, you did mention that this feature where you could write back the IDT tracks. As far as I remember, this feature is gone now from iTunes. Uh, it's been so long since I've used iTunes that I so you don't, don't, you don't remember? know if it's still there. I I know it was around for like iTunes 7, iTunes 8 period, but I don't okay. know any further than that. Right. The, the reason I bring this up is compared to usually the photo management apps that Apple has made in the past, like they never did that for EXIF data. They would read it, but as far as I remember, the only modification it would apply to them is nowadays if you have GPS information in it, it mm. would strip it if you ask for it. But if you decide to add it yourself, uh, oh no, it, 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 it doesn't quit it now if you want, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think if you use the export feature in Photos, you can embed yes, whatever you want in the EXIF. It's just if you use uh, show originals, it won't write the tracks because it keeps the original original file. You're correct. Yes, that's what that's the part I was misremembering. So yeah, so that concludes uh, my uh, few questions regarding your uh, roadmap. I'm pretty excited to see. Uh, again, I don't use the software. I'm a bad friend. Again, I don't <laughs> have the need for it. But usually, when you ship big updates, I go download it and then see what you've done, and then go look at the code and complain because I'm that type of friend. <laughs> I haven't heard any complaints recently, so that must mean I'm doing something good. Or that I haven't looked at the code base. Again, now I'm curious. You did mention Uh-oh. that you started to get rid of all the NS notification uh, architecture. So, Yeah, something weird about that. Uh, I do know that I had started doing that. And for some reason, when I go to the Git repo, it's just not there. But I have footage of me doing... Th- that's the weird thing. Because I was doing the video series, I have footage right. of me doing the thing. I just don't know where it went. So uh, it's half half removed until I find where that commit or that stash went. Right. <laughs> or you have to do it again. But at least now you have a video. Uh, so just to remind you what you've done in the past. Yeah. It, to, to be clear, this video was taken so long ago that it was before I had my 4K monitor. Uh, so it's all in 1080p and it would look so weird if I actually finished this and then use the footage from like two years later. <laughs> that would be funny. Like in the middle of two thirds of the video, it's like poof, 4K. The wallpaper is different. The <laughs> yes. OS is like three versions newer. Uh, Though it would, it would be a great indication that project like these, even if they're trivial, uh, sometimes you just park them because what you have done on them already works good enough and i think uh this shows the, like c0 is a good example of that you've used this app for the past two years uh sometime more on than off and especially nowadays more on than off uh, and that bugs but you were okay with it like you now for sure got motivated to fix them again which is always good but even if you have I'm not saying that to demotivate you, quite the contrary. But still, like, even if you don't achieve your uh, first half year goals and it just happens in the next two years, like, still, it is a working sol- project uh, that you can use daily without having to deal with too much problems. Yeah, so, definitely. Uh, I- I've been using Scissor regularly for the past two years. Like, that just because i wasn't working full-time on uh, on a mac doesn't mean i wasn't actually using cesura uh from right. time to time uh 
Uh, but it would be interesting that that video tell that story at the same time. Like it would be a funny technical way of showing it because yes, the background has changed. Possibly the resolution will increase and things like that because your setup has changed. But it could be quite interesting to tell that story. That you know what, projects sometimes they just go on the side, but doesn't mean they're dead. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But yeah, that's pretty much everything I have. Good. You can find our show notes. Uh, for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 222, so 222. You can find our back catalog of episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. The show is on Fediverse. We are at limipo underscore podcast at mastodon.social. You can find us individually there too. I am at luco at mastodon.social and you can find Yannick at sacrina at icosahedron.website. And we'll see you in a month. Remember, March 10th. See you next month.